This is Bedside, a podcast series on a mission to debunk sex. I'm your host, Tatiana, and each week we'll uncover stories, ideas, routines, and expert information to help guide you on your ever-evolving journey of good sex. We believe that through democratizing sexual wellness, we can shift cultural taboos and make way for authentic and limitless access to pleasure, joy, and connection to the body. On today's episode, I chat with Isabella Frappier, a sexual educator, pleasure mentor, podcast host, and former birth doula. Many of you might recognize Bella from Goop's Netflix series, The Goop Lab, where she shares her work as a holistic healer and her superpowers on body literacy and sexual sovereignty as she helps others to connect to their divinity. On this episode, Bella shares with Bedside how her sex life wasn't always the sex life of her dreams, that after living through pain, anguish, and performance, she was left sexually and spiritually starved. Bella's life now looks a lot different these days as she helps clients rediscover and awaken to their truths. As we span topics of sensuality, inner wisdom, and the divine feminine, Bella shares her incredible energy and ideology on reclaiming sexual liberation. This is a conversation you don't want to miss. Meet Isabella. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. I knew immediately that I had to get in touch with you after I watched the Goop Lab series. <laughs> it was absolutely fantastic, and I truly can't wait to dive into that some more. But for those who aren't as familiar with your work, give us just an idea of what you do, who you are, how you got started. Give it to us all. I get that a lot. Um, yeah, so it's funny because people always like want to know what my job title is and I've changed it so many times over the years um at the moment I think I'm going with um pleasure mentor or sensuality mentor because like guide coach I don't know none of that really like grabs me makes me feel like um I don't know like drop and give me 20 push-ups and then like do an orgasm it's like I don't know that's just like not high practice <laughs> um I really feel like I'm next to someone on the path like we're holding hands I'm walking with you I'm helping you in the direction but I'm helping people learn how to be their own wayfinder instead of me being like this is where we're going because I think it's very dangerous when teachers and experts talk about sexual health and sexual wellness in terms of they understand yours like no I don't understand your journey I understand mine because I've been on it and I'm trained and I've gone through it but that helps me guide you along yours and help you become the expert on your sexual health and wellness. Uh, so that's what I do. I work with one-on-one -on -one clients through like mentorship programs and I help them discover everything they want to know about their body and their sexuality. And it's so much fun. I'm like one of those nerds who just loves their job every day. I'm like, yes, who am I helping today? Um, in terms of how I got into it, it was definitely an intersection of my personal journey and my professional one. So I've been working in women's health for, let's see, um, somewhere between 10 and 15 years, um, of a lot of research, self-education and like I've done some formal education, but mainly self-education and, and really kind of like being on the journey myself. I think that's the, the thing that I bring to my work that is actually the most helpful to my clients. So I, I was on this journey of just honestly hating sex and just like being very, very performative. And 
I reached like a critical breaking point where I thought, I just can't go on like this. Like this is terrible. There has to be something more than this. And, um, and that's when I took, a, it was about a year or so of celibacy where I really just learned how to fall in love with myself. And I really dove deep into sexual health and wellness and healing, uh, ancestral practices education around worm and genitals and just like everything I could possibly learn. I'm like such a voracious learner and I became a birth doula and I did that for a while and that was really beautiful uh, work, but it was also really heartbreaking and really what ended up kind of happening was that I was mainly supporting these women uh, postpartum through their sexual healing journey from the trauma of birth uh, and what birth can be a catalyst of resurfacing in trauma so that was kind of just like the natural flow and progression and then by the grace of the goddess those women were like hey I have a friend and she wants to see you and then this friend wants to see me and this friend wants to see me and then I branched out from supporting non-birthing folk and and women of all varieties and gender non-binary folks as well and uh, that's just been it like I have just only ever practiced through word of mouth and I in a way I kind of wish I could say like I woke up and was like oh this is what I'm going to do um, but it's not true. I just followed like the calling of my heart and I'm very, very focused on being of service. I have since I was like 14 and I first started being a nanny and, uh, and that intersection of like, what does my heart want and where am I being of service led me to this point, which has been my most fulfilling work to date. You're right. Like, I don't know if it's really like a quintessential thing to wake up and say, I'm going to work sex and sexuality and teaching people this stuff. I mean, you know, as a kid, you're like, I'm going to be a fireman. I'm going to <laughs> run for president. And so I wanted to be a jockey when I was a kid. So pretty different. <laughs> <laughs> so and, and I really love that you've just been on this super intuitive journey. Yeah. So tell me more about that, because I know that like a lot of people sometimes struggle with with their intuition and like what the outside world is telling them to do. Yeah, I've always been really, really connected to my intuition. Um, from the time I was really little, um, this is will seem off topic perhaps, but um, I've, I'm a psychic medium, second generation. My mother is also. And so from the time I was really little, I was like one foot in each world. So I really resonate with Persephone um, when I do goddess work, which is a whole other thing. Um, so I've always been really tapped into the beyond and everything that is not of this plane and trusted my intuition in like bizarre ways where I'll be like, oh, I don't want to take this train or this bus or whatever. And then something horrible will have happened. So it actually was never something that I kind of, um, came to, like, I, I just always really trusted my intuition. And then it was interesting as a child being like that because you're not looking for validation because you don't have a concept of that. Right. 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 But then as you get older, people then reinforce some things. So like I would have knowledge of people that had lived in the house before we had lived in it when I was a little kid and, wow. and really, really specific things to do with the people and where they were in, in the home and things like that. So I kind of got this constant validation, I guess, of my intuition being spot on. Not to say that I've always made good choices. Like I mean, I've made really bad choices as well. Um, I mean, that's human. That's human. <laughs> yeah. I had a partner who was the reason I moved to the States and that was just me not listening to my intuition of that. And, and the relationship became very abusive. But, um, but that was still the right choice because 
I was very cold to like follow that, you know, in that relationship in a way that didn't make sense to any of my friends and family. And they were like, why are you moving to the other side of the world to be with this guy? Um, and, and I just knew I had to. And, and I navigated that and managed to get myself out of that abusive situation, which I'm really proud of. And, um, but that got me to exactly where I am now. Right. And I trust that the choices I made, even if they weren't always the easiest path to walk, were the exact path that I was supposed to be on because I really struggle with people-pleasing and perfectionism. Mm. Those are like really big um, karmic lessons that I'm here to learn. Mm. And I really learned through that relationship and, and getting out of it more specifically how to stand up for myself. And the lesson I really, really learned in that, I remember there was one particular time where I was um, crying on my kitchen floor and it was like late at night. And I remember thinking of just like a particular sentence my partner had said to me that was just like egregious, it's so horrible. And just thinking about it over and over again. And and part of what they said is like, you'll never do better than me. And I was thinking about that over and over again. And then I thought, that can't be true. That can't be true because you're just awful to me, like you're horrible. And I realized in that moment that no one would ever stand up for me as as strongly as I could. And that no one could ever love me like I love myself. And gonna tell you like it just changed from that point I like I got up off the kitchen floor and I was like fuck this shit like I'm out it's like a switch it was like a switch and like everything I tried to do to leave her for that nothing worked and and from that point that was um sort of backtracking to what I was saying earlier that was actually the point where I was like I need to not date and just focus on myself and really fall in love with myself And that was when I focused really hard on education around Tantra and everything to do with the erotic and where I was in that. Because not only was that relationship abusive, but every sexual relationship I'd had leading up to that point, they weren't abusive, but they were dissociative. I was dissociative. Like my partners weren't. I had great partners up until then, but I wasn't in pleasure because I was so fixated on bringing my partner pleasure. And honestly, like, even more so just looking good, just like looking good yes. and being the person that I thought they wanted sexually. So when I took that period of celibacy, what I was really doing is is trying to learn who I am in relation to sex and romance outside of partnership with someone else because that's work I had never done. I had no roadmap for that. I wish there was someone in my sphere at that time that does the work I do now that could have helped me. Um, there wasn't, I did that on my own and that's, um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Joseph Campbell, but like the hero's journey. And then I eventually did get some support and mentorship, which was an important stage, but I really got myself through that period. And that like, honestly, cause people are always fixated on like what books I've read and what education I have. But honestly, that period post that relationship is why I do the work that I do because I became what I needed and I am constantly, um, sorry, I'm tearing up a little bit. Um, I'm constantly in awe of what I can facilitate with my clients. Like I don't, my ego is not in it. Believe me. Like I, I almost wish it was. Um, I, I'm very, very aware that I'm just the mirror for that person's healing and their journey, but it is never lost on me. Like the beauty of it is never lost on me. What I think is so incredible that you have shared just now is that a lot of the times, like the work that people get into and involved in is because that there was a void for something that they were dealing with and struggling with. 
especially in sex and sexuality, there's just such need for pe- for conversation and there's such a craving for it. And it seems like, you know, growing up around c- kind of like these healing skills and practices and then being able to find that for yourself, this beautiful thing blossomed. It, I, I appreciate that. It, it That feels very true. And what I went to um, college, we don't call it that in Australia, but what I went to school for was naturopathy. I was going to be a naturopath. And um, it was interesting because I actually had to drop out of that because my mother got unwell and I had to take care of her. But um, what I did from that point was pretty much all of the coursework, but on my own. And that made me realize something that is so important to me in my work now, which is you are the expert on yourself, whether that is to do with your sexuality, your pleasure, your body, or even further education, because those education systems are facilitators for universal information that we can all access. You know, actually, that's not true, because sometimes they lock that shit up, right? (laughs) Behind like a school portal. But like, you can get a lot of education and information on your own. And that's what I really try to teach people is how can they feel like Like, I don't want to be your guru. I think that's something that's like really important to me. Like, I don't want to be your guru. I barely want to be your healer. I want to help you feel like your own guru and your own healer and the expert on your body because I can't teach you shit you don't already know. I mean, I do with like specific stuff, but you know, like, yeah, I'll teach a difference between like like anatomy or BDSM and stuff like that. But all of those like tools and lessons and teachings weave into the greater picture, which is how can you feel resource empowered and independent in your body and your sexuality. Absolutely. And just have be that voice and that person of service who's going to be able to show that there are so many options that like there aren't. I think like one of my biggest things that I I really try to share on the work that I do is that things aren't these finite answers that we have an array of options that can flip on and off anytime we choose. Yes. And that there's so much permission that I think we haven't granted ourselves because we haven't had the access to talk about it, which Mm. segues me kind of into this next question, which is why have we not created healthy space around the conversation of sex? Maybe you could even tie this into like something that you feel like your clients always come to you with. Is there like a common thread? Yes, Um, (laughs) there is. Um, There's a very big common thread. I think the reason is that, and I want to be really mindful about my language. I predominantly see people who identify as a woman or as femme or as a non-binary person. And I work a lot with the divine feminine and that is not to do with your body or your anatomy. So if you're listening and you're hearing me say woman and that's not exactly how you identify, but you have this like feminine energy. So when I talk about the feminine specifically, that's what I mean. The feminine energy empowered in its sexuality is a very dangerous thing if you are in a position to oppress others, right? The patriarchy flourishes for a reason, right? If we are all liberated and empowered and taking to the streets and protest because when you get in touch with, because that's dangerous, because when you get in touch with your pleasure, this is something that's really interesting to me and my clients. Yeah, we focus on sexual health and wellness, but When you get in touch with what feels good in the bedroom, when you get in touch with speaking up for yourself in the bedroom, when you get in touch with your sexual boundaries, you best believe that that doesn't stay relegated to the bedroom. That spreads throughout your whole life. Like almost pretty much every single one of my clients, if not every single one of them, will work with me for a time and then be like, oh, I got a promotion or I got a new partner. I got this new car because you can't settle for it anymore. You can't settle for shitty 
behavior or shitty treatment or bad jobs because you have the feeling of what it's like to be in pleasure and when you live a pleasure-filled life you don't have room for any of that that shit that keeps us down right so I really think um you know and, and I'm not I'm not trying to be political per se but I really think that there is a reason that the patriarchy has continued for so long at great expense to you know the world its people the planet and a big part of that is in oppression and and even just for example like it's very hard if not impossible to be in pleasure and to be in an orgasmic space if you can't pay your rent and you can't afford food and you're Mm -hmm. systemically oppressed Mm -hmm. i mean not to get too scientific about it, but if the nervous system is activated in that fight or flight response, your sexual arousal system actually can't really activate. So whether you're in that survival mode of of really severe oppression and suffering, or you're like a really busy person, you work a lot, your nervous system is very activated from that, either way, it's very hard for that sexual arousal system to activate so you can't get into pleasure. And then in terms of the common theme, I would say, I've always said that it's shame, um... In interviews, but I was actually um, in an interview the other day where I I thought about that more, and the common thread is shame. But I think that the cause of it is to do with not having sexual sovereignty and having a life or a sex life and and just a general life that's by default instead of design. Because you don't have that good sex education as a kid, whether that's through your family or school, you don't have these beautiful continuing conversations about consent and pleasure and boundaries. And you have, you know, the influences of porn. And I don't just mean Pornhub. I also mean, you know, television. Like, fuck, how many sex scenes have you seen in TV where a woman is being penetrated and that's the beginning of the sex and she has an orgasm? It's insane. Statistically, that's not what happens for people. No. But you say that and then you have sex, penetrative sex, and you can't have an orgasm because statistically that's probably not going to happen. It does happen for some people, but it's the lower minority of, of folks with vaginas. And you think there's something wrong with you. Boom, shame gets created. But do you see what I'm saying? That like the shame is created as a result of something deeper, which is not having good body literacy or sexual sovereignty. Boom. <laughs> I wish I could throw the mic. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll leave you there. The way that our sex media has spoken to us since we were born is that like we see pleasure in movies and porn on like the way that we see it is it's completely run by the male and I think that we haven't taken the time to really understand that the female body the non-binary bodies there's orgasm and pleasure is much more complex so much of what we see as negative is just because it's not the male conditioning and and when I say that, I love the male, I love the divine masculine, and I'm not saying it's wrong. But what I'm saying is, if that is the standard, then femme sexuality looks wrong in comparison. Correct. So like, for example, like I've had so many clients like have expressed these feelings of guilt and shame over how long they take for pleasure. And I say, hey, maybe your body is reminding you that pleasure doesn't need to be rushed. Pleasure should be in every moment of your day. Everything can be pleasurable. If every if every type of genital was able to orgasm really quickly and easily, I don't know that we would have as many long, beautiful, lengthy, erotic sessions that we could have, right? Instead of feeling like, okay, I take this amount of time to reach an orgasm and I would like it to be shorter, just question like, why do you want it to be shorter? Because yeah, okay, I can help you with that. <laughs> but 
but let it be a conscious choice that you want to be able to experience quickies with yourself. Not that that's the only way you can feel pleasure. A bit ago, you mentioned the idea of performative sex. What is performative sex? What does it look like? And why is it so harmful? I also want to preface this by saying, and because I've had a couple of messages from people saying, you know, sometimes being performative helps me experience more pleasure. And that's really valid. That's actually a really, really valid tool. And to be honest, I use that sometimes, um, particularly in my solo sex practice. But the reason that performative sex as default so again, like that's why that is so important to me, default Keyword. design. The reason why performative sex is default is so damaging is because you're not you're not in it if you're performing it, right? And for me, like just to be perfectly honest, like yeah, a, most of my sexual encounters are very performative and even I, call, I, I refer to performative receiving a lot because even receiving oral sex, like it didn't feel good to me. It didn't feel bad, but it didn't feel good. It just felt like nothing. And I, but meanwhile, I'm like, oh, 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 because I wanted my partner to feel good, right? And I wanted to be someone that I wasn't. I wanted to be someone that was just experiencing those orgasms really quickly and easily. And instead of actually doing the work to get to that point, I just snapped into performative receiving because it felt easier. This is, I find it really damaging because, well, one, it leaves breadcrumbs to how to not make you come for a partner, okay? And two, like you're just not in it. And, you know, what we were mentioning earlier about like the depictions of porn and, and, and even in, you know, movies and TV. <sighs> representation is really important. And when you don't have representation of what pleasure actually looks like for people, you mimic what you see. And then, you know, oh my God, how many clients have I had that tell me, you know, they're self-conscious of their O face or they're worried that, you know, they look like they're in pain. That's what I hear a lot. Um, and I've been told that from a partner before that, that I looked like I was in pain and, uh, that was kind of traumatic and I've worked through that. And now I just think like, who the fuck cares what I look like? I'm going to scream or spit, like whatever, <laughs> I'll growl. Um, because if you're so focused on the way you look and what you're giving to your partner, you're not able to be really present and embody your pleasure. If you're in your head, um, most of the time, though, I do think fantasy can be a helpful tool. But in general, if you're in your head by default and not by design, you're you're cutting off your pleasure potential because that's it's in your body. That's where it lives. Spoiler alert. Yes. And and you bring up a really interesting point that there's a lot of layers that we have put behind pleasure that we sometimes don't even realize. Like we put our self-worth behind it. We put our appearance behind it, perform the performative nature of that. We put our, you know, if we, if we worked out that day, if we ate well, mm -hmm. if we, there's just so many stories that we tell ourselves that, that come before, you know, if I've checked all these boxes, then I get to deserve pleasure. And I think it really, it, you know, that hierarchy just, is is one of also one of privilege as well right yeah and it i think it's worth calling out that it's much more challenging for people socialized as women because um there's this uh, phenomena where women are socialized as human givers and men are socialized as human experiences so it's very hard for people for most people that are socialized as female to really experience pleasure because you're not conditioned for that and so then you often will get feelings of guilt and selfishness come up. And I just think that's worth presencing, I think. What are ways that we can kind of undo this shame that we carry, this guilt that we carry, this feeling of unworthiness that we don't deserve pleasure? Where do we begin to even unwind? 
it actually kind of feels like there's three trimesters of the work I do with people where the first trimester, like the first third is quite difficult and challenging. And it's a lot of unpacking and analyzing. And the second part is more fun and it's more explorative. And then the third part is kind of me supporting them into feeling like they got this and they can do this on their own. And so just breaking them down a little bit, because I think that will be more helpful for people to understand is in the first trimester, whether you're doing this with support or by yourself, which is totally valid, I did it, it can be done, is I always talk about it like a garden, because this is what resonates with me. I think when you're born, you get this sort of patch of earth, and then your family, TV, the media, social, cultural influences, they plant all these seeds. And some of them, like your family and friends, think that they're doing what's best, And some of them in the media are planting those seeds because they know that they can make money later on Mm -hmm. if you feel shitty about yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And what I think happens, and this really goes to the default design model, is that that garden grows as you get older and you can be a person who just lives in there and that feels okay. And you can be a person that lives in that garden and that doesn't feel okay because you don't feel at home because it's not your home. You didn't plant it. You did tend to it, right? But you didn't plant it. And then so that work in that first trimester is me walking around with you or you walking by yourself and pointing, well, I can only talk about it in the way of me doing it actually just because the way my brain works. So I feel like I point to things to a client and go, hey, did you plant this? Did you grow this? Did you water this? Does this resonate with you? Is this part of you? Did your mother plant this? Does that resonate? And in a more specific sense, that might be something like a narrative that you've developed about yourself. Like for me, it was that it's really hard for me to come. Um, I also had one that like, I just don't get that wet, which is hilarious (laughs) in hindsight. (laughs) They're always funny in hindsight, right? Right. So like we've developed these narratives. Those weren't true about me, but they were true in the sense that they were practically true. Those things were practically true, but they weren't true in the sense that they were inherently true, right? Because when I unpacked them, so in that first trimester of unpacking and exploring, then I move into the second trimester, which is like sex for me, which is okay. I thought that was true. Don't feel true now. What is? What is true? And that's the more fun exploratory phase where you try different things and practices, meditations. I really recommend people doing a lot of journaling. Um, I have a specific course that's really helpful for people on their own, which is the Pleasure Devotional. And that has journal prompts, activities, exercises that's super helpful because it gives you enough structure to help guide you and community support. But you're still sort of on that journey with yourself, even though you do have that community support and that structure. But I really, really recommend journaling, meditation, whatever way that looks like to you. If that is sitting cross-legged with a scarf over your head and oming, that's cool. I try to do that too. Um, For me, dance is a big part of my meditation practice, Mm. as well as what I call everyday tantra, which is if I'm doing the dishes, can't, you know, yeah, my brain wants to go multitask and think about a million other things I have to do. I get disembodied and out of my pleasure. So if I'm doing the dishes, I try to do that as mindfully and with as much presence as I can. And again, for me, that's a meditation. So I would say those three things together are going to be really helpful. So summing up, because I'm a rambler, is um, starting by unpacking and exploring your own narratives about sex, which means questioning everything that you believe and think about yourself. And you're like, what, I mean, just to give a very specific example, write down, like when you finish listening to this podcast, get your journal out or open up a word doc and write, what is my narrative about myself as a sexual being? 
What is my narrative about myself as a romantic being? Where did I learn these things? Right? That's three questions that would be a great start. And then you'll move into the phase of exploring once you're figuring out what feels true and what doesn't. And then you can develop those skills and those practices. We're never prompted to ask ourselves these things and understand like where we've come up with these, with these with our baggage, like where has our baggage appeared from, right? And like being able to pinpoint it and source that and say like, where do I feel that in the body? Or like, where do I feel that in in the mind? Like what is, what's really coming up here? And I, what I really, really appreciate and I think is also important to point out here is that your pleasure practice, your practice towards sensuality, it doesn't seem like a final destination. Oh no, when you are an apprentice to sexuality, you're always an apprentice. There's not an end destination because you're always evolving and changing as a sexual being. So you're also an apprentice to mystery. And that is a big part of the divine feminine is the unknown and the, the void. It's, a, it's a, a challenging duality to navigate, I think, for us femme folk. And, and it can feel like a really daunting task. Mm-hmm. So to like take even like really small steps toward it is just so... Oh my God, there's so many small steps you can take. Like, so there's three journal prompts. You can start with that. Um, Pick one thing a day that you're going to devote to pleasure for five minutes. This is something I often give to my clients. Like, so for five minutes every day, like that feels achievable, devoted to pleasure, even if it's your snack. Okay. Can you sit outside and eat your snack quietly, looking at nature and tasting it and being in all the textures? You know, that's a really specific thing you can do. Can you create more time for presence in your day? Like there are teeny tiny steps that you take that add up overall to a pleasurable life. And so many people, particularly my one-on-one clients, when they come to me, they're so jazzed up. They're so gassed up about the whole thing. And they can see the finish line in their mind. That's never the finish line, really. But they see the finish line in their mind, and then they get really self-judgmental and critical for not being already there. And I have to remind them over and over again, and myself, to be honest, I have to remind myself over and over again, You don't have to be at the finish line. And to be frank, you probably never will. Just every day, you need to recommit to self-compassion, self-awareness, and pleasure. If you wait until you feel like you've earned pleasure, you're probably never really going to be in it. And I think, you know, it's capitalism is a big part of it. Because, like, we are, we, we tie together our productivity and our worth way too much. And your worth is not defined by your productivity. So many people as well will, will, like clients will come to me and they're like, I can't add in all this extra time for pleasure. And that's such a misconception. It's how can you learn how to feel more pleasure in all the moments? There's this great um, expression and I'm, I can't remember which part, gather, gather around, I think is the podcast. I'll, I'll try to remember it. Um, at Tether Together, that's the podcast, <laughs> brain fart. But they talk about available joy in terms of parenting. Like how can I find the available joy in these chaotic moments where my kid just smeared peanut butter all over my face and punched me in the butt? And I'm not a parent, but I really take that on and I use that a lot in my work actually of like how can I find the available joy in this? Yeah, like maybe, I mean, today I'm back to back all day with, with clients and work and, and this just a few hours ago I was feeling like a lot of overwhelm and I had to sit down and think, okay, like where's my available joy? I have a full client load. That's beautiful. I'm so grateful to be doing that. I'm so grateful to be having this conversation with you. And it was just shifting the unconscious, that default narrative that had come in of like, you're busy, you're busy, you're busy, instead of, hey, you have time for everything you need to do. And and frankly, you enjoy everything you do. And you're about to have so much fun. Yes, exactly. I always have to remind myself that too. 
like this work is a blast it's and so sometimes good. like all the leading up to it feels like so you know you can really stick yourself in like a horrible story and a horrible funk but really reminding yourself of the joy that's in all of that. So tell me, kind of as we're wrapping up here, tell me a little bit about your pleasure practice. How do you stay sexually well? How do you stay in the pleasure? I thought about this question a lot and it's kind of hard to answer because for me, my pleasure is woven through every moment of my day, but I do have really specific things I do, so I'll, I'll stick to them. <laughs> but I want to answer it initially by just saying everyday tantra. Like I try to be like in my tantric energy with everything I do, but in a more tangible way that people can understand. Uh, I am committed to being in love with myself and staying in love with myself, and I am not okay with sexual complacency I fall into that habit just like everybody does and it doesn't feel good to me to only ever have quickies with myself it feels like disrespectful like I deserve so much better than that that's not okay for me and quickies sometimes is fine but it's important for me to have a fulfilling interesting sexual relationship with myself and so I'm very very committed to that and and in a tangible sense, I schedule it. I put it on my calendar of like from this time to this time, I'm going to self-pleasure. And then I will, as it approaches, I feel myself going like, oh, I'm going to bump it because I could be doing, I could be answering emails and doing something more productive. And I go, no, 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 no. This is just as important as everything on your schedule. And if you make it, you know, something that you can cut, you will cut it. So I'm, I'm very committed to scheduling sex with myself as well as romance like you'll probably notice in my house it's full of flowers it's beautiful. i'm a libra through and through me too i thought you might be um i have so much libra in my chart and i'm obsessed with beauty so even like just making myself lunch like it has to be beautiful in a way that feels beautiful to me like my my bedside table everything we're sitting in my bedroom right now so i'm just looking around my space but like everything is decorated in a way that brings me pleasure and reminds me of why I'm alive because to me pleasure is activism I really really passionately believe that and I think if everybody can get more in touch with their pleasure we can really change the planet and so it's very very important to me to be constantly committed to my to my sexual wellness and to finding having sex with myself fun fuck like I don't want to find it boring to have sex with myself that's so sad no and <laughs> and like thank you for saying that you schedule things in oh yeah People, this is the reality. Like, if it's not, I mean, <laughs> this is my brain personally speaking, but um, if it's not on the calendar, if there's not even time blocked out, sometimes I just block out, like, for me. Mm -hmm. And that can just be whatever it wants to be. That's actually the very feminine approach. Oh, really? Because mm -hmm, you create the container, but not the structure within it. Oh. And I guess the masculine approach would be like 8.15 to 8.30 doing push-ups. Okay. 8.30 <laughs> to 8.45, I'm going to masturbate. And like that was my entire life was being that regimented. And then I learned how to do things in the feminine way. Wow. I love this. So just kudos to you for intuiting that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and, and I think that people will sh shame themselves a lot for finding that, you know, that they haven't made enough time for having intimacy with their partner or things are falling off the track and just you fully have permission to do what you need to do to create that space. And if that's maybe blocking time on the calendar, if that's not, that's okay. Yeah. Like get a vibrator and like when you're in traffic, you know, just feel a little good. Like you can, 
add so much pleasure into your day without adding more time. That's what I'm really passionate about teaching people. Because, mm, like, no one has – pretty much everyone I know don't have a bunch of free time. No. <laughs> like, if you do, oh, my God, that's beautiful. I'm so happy for you. Um, Teach us. <laughs> please. But most people don't. So it's like and, – and in Tantra, we have this idea of the pleasure that is available and the pleasure you can add. So – that's again another one of those dualities to hold and and even like in the sexual microcosm of like being in bed with a partner and having sex how much pleasure can you feel from exactly what's happening and from what they're doing because we often don't notice that if we're so fixated on like oh actually maybe this other thing would feel good but there's a real fine line between that and being silent about your pleasure and that's just for each individual to navigate right but i think we can get too much caught up in one end and for me, you know, again, Libra, we care about balance. It's all about the balance of those two. Like how much pleasure can I add and how much pleasure can I find in what I'm already doing? That helps me be successful at my pleasure practice. So tell me, as we're, as we're finishing up here, my last question for you. What is one thing that you want people to just take away from even this conversation? Take time. Take your time. I think actually that's the most concise way I can say it. Take your time with everything. Like slow down in general because there's more pleasure in the slowdown than there is in the rush. Take your time thinking about how you feel about yourself sexually and romantically and how you feel about your body. Take your time thinking about how you want to relate to someone. Take your time relating to somebody. There's no rush. There's no right way to do things. And just seek out what your personal pleasure is. Isabella, this has been such a good conversation. I could chat with you for hours. Oh, me too. I know we just started. So where can we connect with you? Where can we find you? The best way to connect with me and find me is on Instagram at Bella took a photo. Um, I'm pretty active on, on Instagram. That's a really good resource and I give out a lot of free information and education and advice there. Um, but you can also find me online at www.isabellafrappier.com. And that's also where my shop is. Incredible. This has been so amazing. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. Thank you for listening to the Bedside Podcast. If you liked this episode and want to follow along with similar stories and interviews, be sure to check out our Instagram at The Bedside and thebedside.co online. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and of course, share with your friends. It's the best way you can support us and our good sex mission. Thank you for listening.